This week on the Tech on Top podcast, we talk about the new Cloud Insight functionality, Cloud Secure, and how it combats ransomware. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipoc. Zipoc. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the studio of my basement. uh, And with me today, I have someone to speak to me about uh, a new ransomware approach. Uh, And to do that, Kai Niebergall is with us today. Uh, Kai, who are you? What do you do? How do I reach you? Oh, uh, thanks for the introduction, Justin. So my name is Kai Niebergall. I'm Senior Technical Product Manager here within the Cloud Analytics Group of NetApp. And best way to reach me are finally two ways. Number one is via LinkedIn. I think that's um, the easiest and the most obvious. And second is, well, whenever you have a question about Cloud Insights or Cloud Secure, you can reach me via the uh, NG, which is finally listed on the help page within the product. All right. And we'll include links for that help page uh, in the podcast blog. So Kai was just lamenting to me about his LinkedIn numbers going down. So if you will, please boost his numbers there. He's he's very concerned with it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be definitely a good way to go for. And I would appreciate that. Excellent. All right. So as mentioned, we're here to talk about ransomware. And we've done a few podcasts on ransomware before. But uh, in my opinion, you can't have too many of these because people forget about how to approach it. There are new approaches every day, just as there are new ransomware attacks and methods every day. Um, So before we get started into why we're here to talk about ransomware, let's cover what ransomware is. So Kai, if you would please... So I, I'm happy to do so. So ransomware is finally pretty easy. Somebody try, uh, tries to access the network of a company or an individual person, tries to get access to the, some of the computer data or most of the computer data living in those networks. And in the end, he encrypts them or destroys the data and takes it for ransom. That's a pretty simple and very brief description of what ransomware finally is. It most times comes along with some stuff like phishing and malware, which are uh, the attack vectors finally used to get ransomware into the network and finally on the computer of those people. So I know that we are in the middle of a pandemic, and to me that leaves a lot of people with idle hands, and idle hands bring bad things, and one of those things is probably an uptick in ransomware, I would imagine. So, Kai, are you seeing more ransomware attacks seen in the news, or is it kind of tailed off because people aren't even trying? Oh, no, no, it definitely rises a lot. So let's look in some, some numbers here. So early Fab, uh, we had about typically uh, 900-ish uh, kind of reported issues here. And currently we had a rise over March and April of... 20 to 30 percent per month in the number of uh, incidents reported and i recently looked into some some other numbers here like um, as now are many many people working from home and people being asked about uh, that stuff about 84 percent uh, of those people are currently very concerned about security that's definitely one of the outcomes out of that one and the biggest topic here is, if you look into those numbers, 
that about 32% of those people don't even know what ransomware and what phishing attacks are. That's kind of scary to me. Yeah, and that's kind of the point of this, right? We we want to cover the highlights in the you know what it actually is because it you know some people still don't understand the concept of it. Yeah, that's definitely a big topic. So potentially it might make sense to to briefly cover it. So um, let's come back to to some numbers how or the information background information how uh, ransomware finally comes to the endpoint the computer of of myself or you or somebody else here so most times people will use things like phishing attacks what is a phishing attack it's kind of as you go phishing you take a bait into an email typically and send it out to as many people as you can and potentially somebody will click on it and i just read an article of a security company or consultancy company doing security stuff and they released that in 2019, on a daily base, 4.7 billion phishing emails are being sent. Just imagine that pure amount of spam being sent out. And then imagine you're working for a company or just being individual as, as you and I. And typically you will receive, just based on that number, you are receiving at least one phishing email per day, just based on that number. That's pure simple mass. But in the end, looking into a company, let's assume you have hundreds or let's say a, a thousand IT workers uh, living in your company. And from these thousand people, every day they will receive one phishing email. And some recent statistics from those consultancy companies show typically that between 1% to 5% of the recipients of a phishing email click on the bait and take it. These phishing emails, you know, companies have spam filters and they try to block as much of this as possible, but things sneak through. They're not, they're not able to block everything or else we'd never get email from anyone, right? Um, <laughs> that would be a lovely way. Which, I mean, it wouldn't for. be that bad, but... I mean, so uh, overall, I mean, phishing emails aren't just the Nigerian Prince emails or the um, emails where you, 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 they say you've got a curse, right? The chain, chain emails we yeah. used to get. They've evolved, and now they're more sophisticated. They look more like they're, official they're emails. Targeting. They're exactly targeting you as a company or you as an individual. Let's assume you you and I, we both are working for NetApp, and let's assume we get an email from, from George or somebody else, and we don't take a too deep look into it you might be tempted to click on a, on a link in it if there's something else for you to click on it right and i mean honestly i whenever i get emails that have links or documents in them um even if it's from somebody i know i always try to follow best practices of you know before i click on a link mouse over it kind of look at that highlight of that link because if you see like a bitly or a short link it's generally not a good link to have, <laughs> right? Yeah, it, it looks suspicious, does it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, documents, you know, if you get a PDF or, you know, something like that, and, and you may, may, maybe don't want to open it right on your computer. And if you have access to like a virtualization lab or something, open it in one of your VMs. And if it trashes that, you just blow it away and recreate it. Yeah, that's definitely one of the best ways to go for it. And Another opportunity today is, well, open it up on your mobile phone. If it is an iPhone, you are kind of good protected androids are more targets already 
but on the iPhone side, you are still on the safer side of the of those abilities. And in the worst case, well, yeah, okay, it will infect the email uh, system of your iPhone, as iPhone is so dedicated in terms of what apps can do and what apps can't do. You are kind of good protected. Still not really 100%, but before you have the ability to not fire up a virtual machine because you are traveling or you are only uh, working with your own computer here, well, that might be a good way to open it and take a look. So as far as ransomware goes, let's say that you know, you're, you're an IT admin and your job is to not just protect against ransomware attacks, but also to figure out ways to remediate them. So what is the approach to combating ransomware? The easiest and best approach uh, to come around is typically most companies like the FBI or organizations like the FBI recommend you to protect your parameter as good as you can. You already gave me a pretty good example on this one. And it's mainly around um, having spam filters, having antivirus software, having trained employees so that you and I are suspicious clicking on links and emails. That's a damn good process. But unfortunately, looking into the numbers I shared with you before, one to five percent of even the trained employees still click on a link. It might happen to me. It might be a very dedicated spear phishing attack, a very targeted attack to me as an individual or to NetApp as a company. And I might finally click on that bait. Well, okay. NetApp tried to, to protect the parameter as good as we can. But in the worst case, we will have the virus and the ransomware program running the background where we are. So we from NetApp thought about it and together with our uh, professional services team, um, we came up with a few suggestions how to go and work with it around. And we tried to make it as simple as possible. And we came up with a very simple four-step process. And those four steps finally are aiming exactly to fill the gaps if I would only protect my parameter. First step is get a pretty good knowledge of what's living in your data centers. Have an overview of what file shares are out there. What are potential targets for an attacker? What are potential um, attack passes an attacker could, uh, could take? And then take a deeper look into those vulnerable things you are currently having in your data center. Even um, take an estimation if there are known vulnerabilities to assets like non-tap system or to other assets like an e-series system. So consult things like uh, our active IQ uh, environment. And from the product side, well, I'm responsible for Cloud Insights here. So we came up with the idea and the general approach that we suggest you to use Klaus Insights to do those research terms, to map out the attack round. This is how we call that step, mapping out the attack round. Cloud Insights gives you a pretty good overview of what you have on assets in your data center. It also gives you the ability to see, for example, all SMB-enabled file shares. You have the ability to check for vulnerabilities via ActiveIQ and see it all in one single UI. And then you have the ability in the combination with cloud compliance and cloud secure, number one with cloud compliance, to learn what type of content is living under those assets. 
and with Cloud Secure, having a full audit trail and the ability to exactly know who is typically accessing those assets. That's step number one. Does Cloud Insights also track files that have changed? You know, and like, like for example, there's a, this concept of sleeping ransomware, right? Where ransomware infects your system and then doesn't activate for months so that it waits for snapshots and backups to roll off so it gets its full impact. So does Cloud Insights and Cloud Secure do anything for those situations? So Cloud Secure uh, keeps a full audit trail of all the files when they have been accessed, when they have been altered, when they have been moved, deleted, and this kind of things for six months, depending on the version you're using, even for 13 months in the best case. So can you configure that value to be larger or smaller, if you like? Uh, on a cloud secure side, you can't. But um, the the main here, the main reason why we keep that data is to give you the ability to take a deeper look into the environment. But finally, you are aiming to get the knowledge or the, the best practices. How should I set up my snapshot policies to conquer those fears, those attacking possibilities, well, in the end, if an attacker or a ransomware would sleep for, let's say, 18 months in an environment, well, I would guess he will outrun every protection I can set up. So when you're trying to convince people that ransomware is a real threat to their business, um, how do you do that? Do you, do you basically show them what the cost impact will be if they have ransomware attacks versus what they'd spend on preventing it? I mean, what's the method of trying to get people to understand that? Oh, that's a good question. So number one, what is obvious is always a ransom. And if you look into uh, those known uh, pages, even on LinkedIn, there are several stuff going around how many uh, millions in US dollars a company have paid on ransom. For example, I'm currently looking here at a recent incident happening at Travelax, so uh, a paying company, uh, and they paid 2.3 million US dollars on ransom. But you have to think about two things. Why are people and companies paying ransoms? Well, for sure, they want to have their data back, but nobody will assure them that they will get the data back, number one. Number two is the biggest cost, according to the FBI, coming from an uh, attacker using ransomware is not the ransom itself. It's a potential downtime you, yourself, your company, and your IT systems will lack off. The average downtime being impacted or uh, issued finally based on a ransomware attack is typically 16 days in 2019. And imagine a company who can live 16 days without any IT access. No sales, no uh, emails, no marketing, no production, nothing. 16 days in average. So there might be some where it's only a few days, but there might be others where it is 20-ish or even 30 days. And that's the real cost behind ransomware. And this is why people pay sometimes ransoms, which is definitely the worst they could do. Because number one, they will lose the money and they don't know if they get the decryption key back. Number two is, well, they will be a more lucrative target for further uh, for future attacks because they already took the decision to pay and the attacker knows stuff which he can sell to other attackers in the future yeah i would imagine that a ransomware attack 
when they when they access your network or they get in there somehow, they probably didn't just get in one way, right? They probably gathered a lot more information that allows them access later on if they want. That's my assumption as well. And that's one of the biggest uh, concerns I have. So as far as Cloud Insights goes, I mean, how does it work? Do you install it on a server? Is it cloud is it cloud resident? I mean, and how does the subscription model look like for that? So Cloud Insights is fully SaaS-based. So it all operates only in the cloud. The only thing you would need on-prem or let's better to say inside your data center, no matter if it is in any of the hyperscaler clouds or your own data center on-premise, is f- in the end something we call an acquisition unit. An acquisition unit is yeah, typically, I would say, a virtual machine running uh, a few cores. So typically, we say two to four cores and four gigabyte of RAM. That's how we size a minimum acquisition unit. And that acquisition unit is finally the endpoint to acquire data inside your uh, network. So it connects via open APIs or via um, given other passes to those assets, let's say via SAP and REST API to ONTAP systems, via REST API to NetApp HCI system, and acquires the telemetry data out of those systems. And then this is all queued up, and then the acquisition unit sends it to Cloud Insights uh, in our hosting environment. And there it is uh, done the decryption of the data and finally the analytics around it. So there's nothing to worry about in terms of that you need a huge investment in hardware or something like that on your side. So you mentioned this does an audit of files. Does it also do proactive alerting? Does it tell you, hey, this file changed? Um, you might want to check it, check that out, or you know, look into it. What does it? How does it interact with the actual auditing? Oh, you are already two steps ahead of me. So let me come back to my four-step process we came up first. So. Step two of the, that process is finally using the information of the step one, which is mapping out the attack round, to define a protection strategy. So you need to define the protection strategy so you have the snapshots in place, you automate the rollout of the snapshots, you automate your monitoring of it, and then we come to step three, which is exactly what you ask for, proactive monitoring and alerting if something happens. And yes, exactly. Cloud Insights with a feature set of Cloud Secure does behavioral analytics of the user's behaviors. And as soon as there is a suspicious or malicious behavior of a user, it will alert directly within typically less than a minute as soon as we detect something malicious here. And there are three types of malicious activities we currently detect. The first one is, well, a user starts behaving differently than he did in the past. That's kind of the obvious. As we acquire the audit information, who accessed what, we are able to build something we call a community. So if you and I are accessing the same files and folders, we both are building something we call a working community. And as soon as I now start behaving differently than the average of our working community, it will also be a reason for an alert. And the third thing is, well, as soon as I start snooping around and trying to find stuff I never accessed before, well, for the system, it's obvious because in that case, I will join working communities I never joined before. 
and it will start alerting on that behavior as well. So we have three type of attack vectors, what we alert on today, and a few others, what we will do in a pretty soon future here. But those are the main three, which will not only describe ransomware attacks, it will also prevent you from other insider threats like snooping, scooping, or um, data destruction threats. So there's a step four in the four-step process. Let's, what is that step four? So step four is finally, you have been alerted that there's an incident. And your biggest concern is that your production line or anything else will be impacted. So you, you are really looking for remediation. That's your biggest target for step four. So remediation, getting rid of the ransomware, getting your data back, and proofing that you know what the ransomware attacker used as an attacking pause, the, uh, the software he uses, that you get the proof and the ability to do forensics around it. That's finally the target of step four. Well, to do step four, there are several ways to do it directly out of the product. Number one, in step three, you will be um, kind of alerted that there is an incident. Number one, in step four, so in the remediation phase, you will set proof that there was an attack. So you go away and potentially use the to uh, tools Unta provides you out of the box, which is cloning of the environment, uh, locking out, quarantining users. And then that's kind of semi-automated today. And as soon as you have the clone of that volume or share or whatever what was impacted, you have the ability that all other normal users or good users are still able to access the data as they are typically because they are now working on the clone. But what with the bad data, those files that had already been altered, encrypted, or even deleted if it is a destruction case? Well, Cloud Secure, as feature set of Cloud Insights, will tell you exactly the point in time when those altering had happened. So we tell you, let's say it was the uh, 2nd of May, uh, 4 p.m. Uh, and 15 minutes in the evening. So you exactly know file name, folder, the user who did it, and the time, the point in time. Now you have the ability to export that information automatically to use it via an automation process and finally automate the restore of those impacted files. And you don't want to restore all the files from a, sh uh, from a file share or something like that because imagine there's one bad user and hundreds of good users and if you fall back to, let's say, a snapshot, which is five hours ago, just to be sure that you don't take um, bad stuff with you and you don't lose any information which was encrypted during those five hours, well, you will lose a lot of good information as well. So the intention here is to automate or semi-automate the restore process just to do a single file restore on every impacted file to the closest snapshot just before the altering happened. So Kai, does Cloud Insight leverage any sort of NetApp technologies? I mean, I know it probably leverages snapshots, but is there anything else that it leverages in ONTAP that we have today? Oh, that's, <laughs> that's something I would potentially even have forgotten to speak about because it's so natural for me that we know our own stuff. Yes, and we eat our own dog food here. So... Cloud Secure and Cloud Insights do leverage not only the REST API and SAPI interfaces, so the ONTAP APIs we have. We also leverage F-Policy. So F-Policy is a way to monitor or get information out of the ONTAP system. 
and it typically has two ways to implement it. It's a synchronous and an asynchronous way. And we use fpolicy to get the information of all those file activities into Cloud Secure right away. So we will not suffer any performance impact based on that information being sucked out of ONTAP because we don't suck it out. We get it directly uh, via the fpolicy. The ONTAP system is sending out to us in an immediate fashion. So we get it typically between 15 and 30 seconds past the activity itself. Do we do any sort of file blocking uh, methodology where we can take a file extension and say, don't allow these files at all with, with Cloud Insights? Uh, we took that approach and currently we disabled that feature for several reasons. I, I Potentially, let's take a look again on how ransomware acts and, and they changed their own habits. In the past, it was easy. They did uh, file endings like WannaCry and crypto and other kind of things. But now they go and either store the file itself back and it's just encrypted, or they scramble the whole name, even the extension, or potentially they leave the extension in place. So what should be the use of blocking some type of file extensions on the F-Policy side? It would even make the solution more complex and more hard to implement. And that's something we try to avoid. So in the end, currently it's pretty simple. Just coming back on the deployment cycle, I just mentioned it briefly here. So to deploy in Cloud Secure, you will typically need half an hour to an hour to deploy it in a normal environment, in an enterprise environment. I would call it an hour and a half to two hours, but then you are done for the whole environment, not for only a small part of it. If we have Cloud Insights, what do we do to protect Cloud Insights, <laughs> right? So we've got all of our data in one basket, right? What if somebody gets access to the Cloud Insights instance, say through a backdoor through Amazon Web Services or wherever it's being stored? How do we protect Cloud Insights itself? So that's a real good question. So number one, the biggest fear of most customers is, are there any credentials stored of my company or will the attacker be able to use the information found there to access my network? And definitely he can't do so. So every credential piece, everything which is customer related and we don't need it for doing the analytics is only stored on the acquisition unit within the network of the customer. And from outside of that network, we can't even access the acquisition unit. So there's no way for us to get that information. On the Cloud Insights piece, well, number one, yes, it's a hosted environment, but we take security very serious because we know what information we store there. We are SOC 2 Type 1 certified already. Type 2 certification is currently under its way. It always needs a delay between Type 1 and Type 2. This will be done pretty soon. So this SOC certification gives you the knowledge that we had been tested if somebody is able to penetrate our environment to get access to the stuff and to find information he could use to alter things or to get access to something he shouldn't have access to. Number one. Number two, well, it's not only the certification piece. It's that we really encrypt everything. So everything which is customer-related is encrypted within the customer's tenant. So every customer will have his own tenant. And that tenant is encrypted specifically only for that customer. Nobody from NetApp, nobody outside of that customer's tenant which is marked as a user for that tenant, will have access to the information there. So 
if there's a problem with the service, well, we can take a look if the service runs, but nobody from NetApp will be able to log into the customer's tenant and to start troubleshooting. So if the customer wants us to assist him during a call, during a WebEx or a Zoom meeting as we do uh, typically nowadays or any other kind of online meetings, well, he has to invite the NetApp guy on the other side of the phone, either via email, via his single sign-on credentials, to give access to that environment. If not, well, the only one who will be able to access that tenant will be the customer, nobody else. So it's like the vampire defense. You only, you, they can only come in when you allow them. <laughs> yeah, that's the point. So, well, if you allow them, well, they potentially get one of three type of custom of uh, access levels. So we have guest, that's full read only. Then we have users. They can build their own dashboards and uh, queries and get data out of the system. And then there's administrative access. And well, depending on what uh, tasks you have to do, you should be really careful of what type of user you assign somebody to. Yeah, and just to kind of circle back, I mean, the way you would invite somebody in doesn't necessarily have to be direct, right? It could be a phishing attempt. So make sure you're always looking out for that. Exactly. So best case here is, well, if you know this is a NetApp support case, so you opened it up as a customer and you have a NetApp support case around something and NetApp support is asking to get access to that information in your tenant. So I would still be suspicious because typically we don't do that. Typically, we would ask for a joint session that we can see the data because we don't need access to do it to restart a service or something like that. So we would typically join the session together with you and to do it on that way. If there is a potential need that you need assistance, let's say from professional service or something like that, to do task for you or to automate your API to do other tasks underneath of it, well, Hopefully, you know the professional service guy personally already before he starts bringing his service. And that should be the case all the time before you invite him to your tenant. What sort of use cases can you see this applying to the most? I mean, what, what industries are more susceptible to this? And, you know, what industries would make the most value out of this? Unfortunately, I would say it's every industry. So that's the biggest concern I'm having. So let's let's take a look into healthcare. Healthcare is one of the biggest targets cut right now during this pandemic uh, stuff we are in here right now. They are still one of the biggest targets for those hackers. And, well, they are obvious. But every other industry is exactly the same. If it is finance, if it is uh, IT industry where we are, if it is manufacturing, if it is even retail, They all had been already suffering under ransomware or they will pretty soon suffer under ransomware. And if you look into those numbers, I'm still always calling the FBI because they are very uh, keen to lay out open those numbers where the attacks happened and what did, uh, did work well and what didn't work well on those defenders. And in the end, Looking into those reports, it's every industry around the globe. It doesn't matter where you are in in terms of country you're living in, what industry you're working in. It doesn't matter, really. It's every industry, unfortunately. And how to protect it or the best use case? Well, it's not only ransomware we protect against. It's also every other insider threat. And let's assume you're responsible for the IT um, equipment of a merchant acquisition department. 
I would guess that's that's one of those assets in a company you would try to protect as good as you can. So least number of people having access, typically only those people who have been invited to to that environment should know what's living in there. And now assume that for whatever human error, and we all are humans, we all do errors, somebody gains access or has access based on his ID uh, ACLs. And he uses that access, try to figure out what's the next big merger your company's going for. Buy the shares, do other stuff, or potentially to leak it to the public. Just imagine the potential impact to your stock price, to your reputation, and other informations here. And then, taking in consideration if Cloud Secure would be able to alert you that somebody tried to access or did access information and working communities he never accessed before. Is that un? Yeah, that's a fortune verse, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Today's buzzword, or, or the you know the buzzword of the past year or two, has been AI and machine learning. Um, what part is AI and machine learning playing in not just fighting ransomware, but also in generating ransomware? And what are we doing with Cloud Insights to kind of combat that? Oh, that's that's a tough question. So. In generating ransomware, I assume AI and, and machine learning is finally playing a big role. So number one, what is already obvious, there's ransomware as a service out there already on the internet. So if you look into those dark corners of the internet, you will find offers and opportunities to buy ransomware as a service. It sounds odd, but it only costs you a few bucks to generate millions of phishing emails containing already the link to the uh, ransomware attack uh, software as well as the ransomware uh, software itself. That's number one. And most of them will use AI and ML to generate those phishing emails based on the information found on the public uh, internet sites of those target companies. Number two, they are getting more and more sophisticated as well. In the past, let's say two years ago or two and a half years ago, those ransomware attacks did encrypt the files, but it was obvious how they did encrypt it. They left a, um, a file ending called Crypto or WannaCry or some kind of that stuff. Today, well, they potentially encrypt the file, but just store it in the same name as it was before, or they scramble the file name and the extension. So you might not be able to even find what file it was before it was altered. So that's stuff they do. And on our side, well, for the defend, AI and ML is the technology we use to identify those threats because just the sheer amount of data we are processing here to get the knowledge of those user habits and the user behavior, it's necessary that we do it with AI and ML to understand what is normal behavior and what is malicious behavior. So if I was interested in getting access to Cloud Insights, how do I do that? And what is it going to cost me? Oh, that's that's an easy question. So if you are interested in Cloud Insights and want to start a trial on it, number one, there's a free trial for 30 days. So best to check it out right away. And to do so, go to cloud.netapp.com. It's our homepage. It's something we call Cloud Central, so the central piece where every cloud offering of NetApp will be found. And there's a subsection of it 
uh, called Cloud Insights. It's a big button on the homepage, and there you have the ability to sign up for the free trial. You don't need a credit card. You don't need uh, yeah, payment upfront or something like that for the first 30 days. So you are good to go for the first 30 days. During those 30 days, you can decide to go with the basic model, with the standard model, or with the premium model. Those three models offer you different capabilities. And by the way, BASIC is free of charge for every NetApp customer. So if you already own any NetApp asset, like an ONTAP system, like a Cloud Volumes ONTAP environment, like an HCIN system or an E-Series environment, well, you're good to go. You don't have to pay a dime for using Cloud Insights BASIC Edition. Standard offers you additional capabilities. It offers you the ability to monitor competitor hardware as well as hypervisor infrastructure, as well as applications like Kubernetes, like um, application servers, like web app servers, like Apache, like Kafka, and these kind of things. And use telemetry data again to do the analytics and find bottlenecks or threats attacking you. And then there's a premium edition. And Cloud Secure? is part of the premium edition. That will give you the protection against ransomware and other insider threats, as well as the ability to use the API to export data, to automate stuff and stuff around that side. In terms of cost, well, the costs are obvious. It's a SaaS model. It's mentioned on the homepage. But just to mention it briefly here in, in the call today, um, the standard model goes for $6 per managed unit per month. And the premium model goes for $9 per managed unit per month. You mentioned it's free for NetApp customers. Um, is that free for the life of the, you know, the contract for the support model? Or is it free for the life of the product? How long does that free last? As long as your ONTAP system lives, it is free. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> That's an offer, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. It, it has some disadvantages. That. It only keeps seven days of telemetry data. Okay. The standard edition keeps 90 days and the premium edition keeps 13 months. But, well, it's free. So if I wanted to find more information about Cloud Insights, where could I go to look for that? The easiest, mentioned before already, is our Cloud Central homepage. So I just repeat it again so everybody can take notes on it. It's cloud.netapp.com slash cloud minus insights. That's the easiest way. Everything which is important right now, so any news, any collaterals, any white papers, any even technical reports will be mentioned on that page. So there's a whole section about content and collaterals about the stuff. That's the easiest way. Others is, well, you asked again for my LinkedIn profile in the beginning. I standardly go at least once a week to uh, publish some information or other stuff around Cloud Insights, ransomware protection security, as well as general operations of IT equipment in my LinkedIn environment. And we have a blog post running on the cloud.netapp.com homepage again, where the big blog post, so it's three of us right now, blogging very regularly, typically once a week. We have a release of a larger blog post in one of those uh, places. All right, Kai. So uh, thanks so much for joining us today and giving us the lowdown on ransomware as well as cloud secure and cloud insights. Uh, again, if we wanted to reach you, how do we do that? 
So best, as mentioned already in the starting, is go to my LinkedIn profile. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. And as well, you will find all the contact details you will need on my LinkedIn profile. And I'm pretty sure, Justin, you will be able to post it under this podcast here as well. Absolutely. And also, uh, Kai, we're going to need your social security number, uh, your birth date, (laughs) your pet's name. Yeah, and my bank account number, don't you? No, we'll figure that out from everything else. <laughs> I expected it already that way. We'll call into your bank and socially engineer the person that's that's doing the account transfer stuff. So, yeah. Uh, that's what I expected. That's what we <laughs> call spear phishing. Yes. All right, Kai, thanks so much again for joining us. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Kai Niebergall for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.